Welcome to the Dreadcast. I'm Donovan Dread. In this episode, we're going to hear stories from six different people describing their very odd and strange encounters with the supernatural. But before we get into the stories, check out dreadsarmy.com for daily news of the strange and weird. Now here's the stories. Hi there, Donovan. I watch your channel when I can, and I'm really glad I'm finally able to contribute. I've been an avid hiker and an outdoor enthusiast for a long time. I've always wondered if I'd come across anything odd or supernatural. I think I finally have, and I'm wondering what my next step should be. I'm on a countrywide road trip in my decked out van. I started my journey in California, and I'm ending here in Maine. After this week, I'm going to sell my van to a guy over here on the East Coast and catch a flight to New Zealand. I'm able to finance my travels by exchanging farm help for accommodation. Organic farms are usually short-staffed, and they always need all the extra help they can get. So I volunteer with them in exchange for food and a shower, and maybe a little extra cash. I've done it all, from picking avocados, to shearing sheep, to swimming in a cranberry bog. It's a tough lifestyle, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm able to travel all around the world, and I get to meet a ton of cool and interesting people. I've been in Vermont for about three weeks now, and I was just getting ready to pack up. My host now is just as cool as the rest. He owns a maple syrup production business and grows sugar maples all on his property. It's in the middle of nowhere and it's about 30 acres, so it's pretty easy to get lost in. The farm is a relatively small operation, but there are a few part-time workers that lend a hand, even on other crops like the pumpkin patch and herb garden. There's no cell service, but there's a landline and a home computer inside that he lets me use. That's where I am now, as I'm writing to you. Maple syrup production is mainly done in the winter and early spring, so my host hires more farmhands in the beginning of the year. It's fall now, so there's not a ton to do. No bottling or boiling the sap, but there's a lot of basic farm tasks that need to be done. We've been trying to set up some new tap lines and have been rebuilding the sugar shack. I've also been tasked with chopping down some of the dead trees on the property and making them in the firewood. On this particular day, I was tasked with hauling some cut logs back to the sugar shack. The farm has a really sweet pickup truck that they use to go around the property, so the job was kind of a piece of cake. I really only brought out my axe. Again, there's no cell service out there, so I left my phone in the house. I really wish I brought it so I could take a picture and show you what I saw. You'll just have to take my word for it, though, unfortunately. I was only like five minutes into the woods when I started to hear this weird noise. It was like a static hum or a buzzing noise. I thought my ears were just ringing at first from going hunting earlier that week, but it kept on going, and I could tell it just wasn't in my head. I thought maybe it was a plane going by or a strange cricket, but the sound was just too different than anything I've ever heard before. I kept working on the logs and hauling some pieces onto the truck when curiosity got the best of me. I'll be honest, I didn't really want to investigate because my host's wife was making pot pies for dinner and I wanted to get my work done on time, but I just couldn't help myself. It was almost like I was drawn to it or something. I kept walking towards the noise. Luckily, the trees are marked and numbered, so I knew I'd be able to find my way back. The sound kept buzzing louder and louder, almost vibrating in my ears, until I eventually found myself in a clearing. 
Straight ahead of me was this whitish, bluish light glowing in the middle of the clearing, about three feet off of the ground. I could see through it, but there was like some electricity or energy pulsing in it. It was just about three feet tall, too, and it was shaped like an oval. Around the light were these waves of movement, like heat coming off of the pavement. I was just stuck there staring at it for a minute when I finally snapped out of it. Like any idiot would, I decided to chuck a stick at it. The stick hit the thing and its shape glowed bright white. Then it was gone. But I didn't see the stick hit the ground. It was like it was sucked into it. I decided that was the moment for me to get out of there, so I quickly made my way back to the truck. When I parked back to the house, I told my host and his wife, but neither of them believed me. I convinced them to go with me and check it out. But by the time we got there, it was gone. In the place where it was, however, was a scorch mark. The grass was burnt, like something was lit on fire or poked with a torch. I know this sounds nuts, but I'm telling you the truth. I'm just glad I didn't drive or walk into it by accident. I'm heading out to Maine this week, but I told my host to keep an eye out for anything weird like that. I don't know what this was. Was it a portal or some type of energy field? I have no idea. Hey Donovan, I'm a fan and a frequent listener of your show. I especially like when the stories are about unexplained occurrences and creatures in the woods. I think if anyone spends enough time in the outdoors, they'll eventually come across some strange things, things that they can't explain. Whenever I sat around a campfire with my uncle as a kid, They'd tell me scary stories about things they saw in the forest. Well, now I have a story of my own to share. Almost everyone in my family owns property on the outskirts of the Finger Lakes National Forest. My backyard juts up against it. The forest sits on a ridge called the Backbone, between Lake Seneca and Lake Cayuga. My family has been hunting and trapping the area for five or six generations. We joke that the forest is our ancestral lands, because we've been here for so long. In the early spring, I hike up to the peak of the backbone and set beaver traps along the stream that flowed down into the lakes. My family used to make most of its money on beaver pelts at the turn of the century. Now it's just a hobby for us that has been passed down for generations. I'm actually an accountant by day. I'm sure my great-great-grandparents are horrified. I check my traps early every morning before I head into work. On days that I work from home, I'll sometimes check them again before sunset. Last season, I was walking my trap line before work, when I saw some disturbing things. The traps that were triggered all had mostly eaten beaver carcasses in them. Blood, bone, and shredded beaver meat littered the rocks and weeds around the traps. It looked like someone shoved their bodies through a wood chipper. It was a grisly scene, but nothing so far from the ordinary that I should be spooked. Predators getting into your trap line is a regular problem. What did startle me about the situation was the scent left behind and the damage done to the traps themselves. My traps are heat-treated steel, built for heavy use, but they still had massive gashes and dents in them. No animal, not even a bear, has enough power in its jaws to crumple steel like that. The traps had an oily coating on them that smelled like this rancid meat. At first, I thought it was the beaver carcasses, but the kills were too fresh to smell already. Whatever creature had ransacked my line left behind a distinct smell 
of musty rotten meat. I talked to my uncles about the incident, and one of them reported a similar situation. Ransacked traps and the smell of rancid meat. His trap line was not far from mine, so it was an easy jump to assume the same animal that destroyed my trap line did the same thing to his. This happened twice more, as we began to joke that a zombie bear was roaming the hills. We laughed about it, but I was starting to get spooked, and I could tell my uncles were too. We decided we need to figure out what was going on, so we bought a bunch of trail cams and placed them around our traps. They were simple motion-activated cameras that would snap a picture of anything moved inside their field of vision. For a few weeks, we didn't see anything. It wasn't even beaver season anymore, but we kept throwing out traps anyway. I'm not advocating poaching, but we really wanted to find out what this thing was. Finally, one of our cameras caught something. I knew we had something before I even looked at the camera when I saw the ransacked trap. The familiar smell of rotting meat was present, and I found patches of hairy skin hanging from low branches and bushes. It looked like the creature's skin was molting off, like in those nature documentaries when the snakes shed out of their skin. I took the SD card out of the camera and nearly ran the whole way back to my car and sped home to see what was on it. The pictures weren't the best quality, but you could clearly make out a dog wolf-like head with these eyes glowing in the moonlight. But there was something wrong with the way it was built. It wasn't just that it was way too big to be a dog or a coyote. It had a huge hump on its back, and it was very broad, like human-like shoulders. The camera was black and white, so I couldn't tell what color the creature was. But the picture was clear enough to see that the thick fur around its head and neck thinned out around the body to show light-colored, maybe gray skin underneath. There isn't much else I could tell from the first picture, but a succession of photos taken as the creature moved showed that it could even stand on its hind legs. I thought we had solid proof of a wolf-human hybrid. I sent the pictures to the Fish and Game Commission and the National Forestry Service and some local news outlets. Nobody took it seriously. The local news was the only one to run the story, but they treated it as more of a joke. I'm not even angry about it, honestly. I'd assume it was just photoshopped or something if I saw the pictures. A park ranger I knew took a look at the pictures and checked out the site of the traps with me, but he said it was probably a black bear with a bad skin infection, like mange that was making it look and smell like that. But I've since become an expert on bear anatomy after obsessively trying to figure it out and no bear is built like that creatures I have pictures of. The legs and the shoulders are too human-like. I used to hike and camp a lot in those woods. I still hunt and trap, but I always carry a rifle on me now. I never spend the night in the trees. I have a story to share with you that has been bothering me for almost five years now. I live in the rural town of Inwood, Iowa, where everyone knows everyone and loves to gossip. So for obvious reasons, I'd rather not give out my name. I hope that's okay. I turned 16 in the summer of 2017 and got my driver's license. Anyone who's ever been to Inwood would tell you there's not a whole hell of a lot to do there, or really anywhere to go. But having my driver's license at the very least meant that I could get out of the house and off of the farm once in a while. Usually the day would wind up with me picking a bunch of my friends up 
and we just cruised up and down the dirt roads until the gas light came on, or one of us got a call from our parents to head home. Life in Inwood isn't all that exciting, but it's pretty safe. That's how I wound up in the situation I found myself in the first place. I was driving around that morning just like any other, waiting for my friends to answer their phones, so I could start gathering them up. It was getting near the 4th of July, so the fireworks stands were in full swing, and I thought it would be fun to buy a few and blow some up down by the lake. Unfortunately, though, my friends weren't as enthusiastic and seemed to be sleeping in late, ignoring me and my texts altogether. I didn't want to be at home, though Dad was working on a new irrigation system for the farm, and I knew if I showed my face he'd want me to help. So I got my car and I went for a drive on my own. I decided to head down some country roads I'd never explored before and see what I could find. I knew the little town of Inwood well, but there were all kinds of farms and interesting landmarks. I figured I might as well use my time looking for them. It didn't take me long to run across something I'd never expected. As I came over a steep hill south of town, I laid my eyes on the most beautiful farmscape I'd ever seen. It wasn't a modern farm by any means. There were no signs of tractors or machinery of any kind. It looked exactly like the kind of farmscape you'd see in some turn-of-the-century painting. At the top of the hill sat a huge white house with a wraparound porch. Off to the east side of the house was a giant red barn, and the yard was peppered with chickens out clucking and scratching the ground, and there was a tidy little lush garden laid out in the front lawn. I didn't even notice the old woman standing in the yard until I got right up to the place, and by then it was too late to stop or turn around. It turned out the house was on a dead-end road, and the only hope I had of driving away from it was to come to a stop in the old lady's driveway and turn around. As I came to a stop, she came right up alongside the car and tapped on my window. It would have been impolite not to roll down the window and talk to her. This is a beautiful car, she said to me, as if she knew who I was. In truth, the car wasn't anything special. It was an old hand-me-down Toyota my parents had given to me with rust along the bumper. I thanked her and started to apologize for driving down her road, explaining that I was just out for a cruise. None of that mattered to her. She seemed thrilled to have me there and insisted that I come inside. Inwood, being the polite and safe town that it is, I didn't think twice about it. After all, what else did I have to do that day? Inside the house, everything was immaculately clean, but also old-fashioned. She cut me a slice of fresh-baked bread and we sat down at her kitchen table and we talked for a few hours. She had so many interesting stories. But more so, she seemed interested in everything that I had to say. She asked me so many questions about my life and school and friends and my father's farming that I wound up losing track of time. I told her I had to leave and she asked me if I'd do her one favor and fetch her a pail of water from outside the well before I left. I asked her if she had running water and she laughed, telling me that she could never afford to have such pipes run. I thought that strange. But I did as she asked and I got her the water. I felt sad leaving her like I knew she would be lonely once I was gone. So I told her I'd come back the next day and bring my mom. My mom was a friendly lady who loved to help others out. Maybe she even knew a way to get the old woman some water lines. True to my word, I went home that night and told my mom about the old woman I'd met. She was furious with me for being gone all day. But once I told her where I had been, she was eager to meet the lady 
and see if she could befriend her or offer any help. When we drove out the next day, though, I couldn't explain what we found. The barn was fallen in on itself. The red paint had long worn off through years of hard weather. The beautiful lush garden was overgrown with ragweed and thistle. The fence posts were rotted and falling over. There wasn't an animal on sight. The house, too, was run down with pieces of the roof long gone and the windows all busted out. The front door was left wide open. We walked in, careful of the rotted floorboards, and there it was. Right in the middle of the kitchen floor was that pail of water I'd hauled in the day before. Of course, there was no sign of the old woman either. I've driven by that house probably a hundred times since, and I've never found the scene that I happened on that first day. There's just no explaining what I saw. Hey Donovan, hope you're doing well. You're probably doing better than I am. I was just fired from my job because of something I saw. For several years, I've been working for this company that creates VR and 3D interactive photos for the purposes of construction and selling real estate, logistics, and creating virtual tours for companies. My latest assignment was to do a 3D scan of one floor of an old office building. The client was trying to rent it out. I have to say right off the bat, this place gave me the creeps. I was ready to take the photos and 3D scans of this place and get out of there as quickly as possible. When I took the first scan, I couldn't capture anything in the room because of what appeared like a thick white fog that covered the entire room. I didn't see any fog in there with my eyes, so I figured it had to be smudges on the lenses of the 3D camera. I cleaned the lenses and tried to capture the room again. When I looked at the footage scanned, all that showed up was what looked like a dense fog that filled the room again. I was pretty frustrated, and I believed it was a technical malfunction of either the camera or our software that was causing me to waste my time in this run-down, creepy building. I moved on to a room on the other side of the building, thinking maybe it was some sort of electromagnetic interference. After doing another scan, I got the same result and I figured I would try again later with different equipment. I took the 3D camera and my computer back to my work and had this guy Eric from the IT department look at the files of the scans. He told me that he had never seen anything like this happen before, and it must have been a glitch with the software on my computer. He gave me another camera and computer and I headed back to the old building. As soon as I got back there, I felt uneasy, but I was just ready to complete this job and never come back to that place again. I set up my equipment and took a scan of the main room. When I looked at the footage, it had successfully scanned the entire room, but it looked like there was this red filter on all the footage. It reminded me of those old 007 movies, where James Bond shoots the screen and blood drips down over the camera lens. I tried several more times. All of the footage was still red. I called my boss and explained all the technical malfunctions I was having. He told me to take the equipment to IT and just try again tomorrow. The next day I went up to IT and Eric told me that all of the equipment was working perfectly now. Relieved, I made my way back to this building and was ready to get this job behind me. I set everything up and began the scan. I left the room so I wouldn't be in the footage and after a few moments I went back in. I checked the footage and this time on the computer screen it said there was an error capturing the scan. I tried again, and when I came back in, my computer said the same thing. 
I called IT and they told me to restart the computer, unplug the camera, and plug it back in. I did as they instructed and then I couldn't get my computer to register the camera as being plugged in. IT told me to bring the equipment to them and they would give me new equipment that they were sure worked perfectly. This entire process was a total pain. I was really frustrated, but I headed back to work. I went to IT, gave the old equipment to Eric, picked up the supposed working equipment, and went back to the building. I did another scan and prayed it would work, and went to check on the footage. This time, I captured the room perfectly, except there was a dark figure of what looked like a man's shadow in the corner of the room. I'm not sure what this was, so I set up the equipment to do another scan, ran out of the room, and I made sure I left plenty of time for the camera to scan the entire room. Now keep in mind, I've been doing this for years, and I've never had any problems before. When I got back into the room, the camera was smashed on the ground, and the computer in the scan was incomplete. This camera had a round stand on the bottom, so it was pretty much impossible for it to tip over. Something must have picked it up and hurled it onto the ground. It was also an expensive camera and made of sturdy metal. It wasn't the type of thing to break easily. I freaked out and grabbed everything and ran out of there. I took it to IT and explained what happened. He looked at me like I was crazy, so I begged him to look at my past captures. The fog, the redness, the dark figure, and my last attempt for anything out of the ordinary. The computer read that the scan was incomplete. But Eric was able to extract what the camera had captured before it was smashed. There was a gray hand reaching down towards the camera. We both froze and stared at it. I was terrified and asked him to send me the files. I ran to my boss's office and explained to him what had happened. He accused me of lying and fired me on the spot for destroying company property and for time theft. I begged him to look at the footage and told him I wasn't lying but he had security escort me out of the building with all my stuff. Later, I called Eric to send me the files, and he told me to meet him for some coffee. At the coffee shop, Eric told me that our boss had all the files erased, and the computer that I captured it on destroyed. I still can't believe this happened to me. Why were there spirits in the building so hostile to me? I don't understand why my boss acted that way he did towards me. Why would he want the evidence destroyed? And why did he fire me so quickly? So many unanswered questions. I'm forced just to move on and get another job. I'm still in shock over everything that happened. Hi Donovan. With so many incredible stories that you tell, I don't know if you'll end up publishing this one or not. But I would appreciate your opinion on what I experienced in Missouri a few summers ago. My wife and I were overdue for a vacation, and we wanted to get out of the state and forget the world for a while. We ended up renting this amazing cottage on hundreds of acres of land in Missouri. It was gorgeous. There were rolling hills and woods as far as the eye could see, and a beautiful river that ran right through the property. My favorite thing about it all was there was a hot tub covered in lanai, where you could sit and take in the sights. I wanted to check out the whole property one day. So I followed the property line and ended up going pretty deep into the woods. The wildlife around there was incredible, and I even saw black bears and wild boars roaming around carefree. It was nature's beauty at its finest. I would love to know what that property costs. I got out to this one area of the woods where a river ran right through it, and you could follow the river for miles. 
I did this for a while, and I saw this big majestic bison drinking water right out of the river. I was pissed I didn't have my phone with me to take a picture, but I was determined to get as close as possible. The closer I got to it, however, the less it looked like a bison. It was huge and furry like one, but it had these jagged spikes along its back, like nothing I'd ever seen on an animal before. It also had one giant horn on top of its head like a rhino. It was the strangest looking creature I'd ever seen before. It started freaking me out the closer I got to it, and I decided to keep a healthy distance between it as I had no idea what it was. It took massive gulps of water at a time. I could hear it from a decent distance away. Suddenly, the beast looked at me, and I was terrified. It had one giant eye, and it screamed at me so loudly, it shook the ground. I immediately took off into the woods. I must have been so scared that I passed out. I woke up later that night in the dark, with no phone and no flashlight, miles away from the cottage. I had no idea where I was, and I didn't know what direction to start walking in. I was really scared, and it crossed my mind that I might die in the middle of the woods that night, with nobody around to find me. I finally found the river, and I figured I would follow the river to keep an eye out for anything that looked familiar. I kept walking and walking alongside the river, and eventually, I smelled the faint smell of a campfire. My wife must have lit one. I kept following the river and the smell of the campfire got stronger and stronger. Finally, I saw the campfire in the cottage and made my way towards it. By this point, I was beyond exhausted, hungry, and dehydrated. I got close to the campfire and I must have passed out again. The next thing I know, I wake up in the hospital and my wife is sitting next to my bed. I told my wife about the nasty beast I saw. I talked about the large bison-like body and jagged spikes across its back, the giant horns on its head, and the most unusual part, its big singular eye. My wife told me I was just hallucinating from dehydration, and I just needed to rest. The nurse came in to check on me, and I told her all about this creature I saw. She told me about an urban legend that was unique to Missouri, called the Miniwashitu, which fit the exact physical characteristics that I described. When I looked it up, it said that anybody who saw it became crazy, writhed around in unspeakable pain, and was only relieved from these ailments through inevitable death. Luckily, I never experienced any of those awful things, and I am still very much alive to tell the tale. It has me believing, however, that maybe what I saw wasn't a one-of-a-kind creature, but more of a common creature that was relatively rare and commonly mistaken as a mythical one. I will say one thing though, the beast scream was the worst thing that I'd ever heard to this day. The scream was not an ordinary roar of an animal. It shook me and everything around it, and it made me immediately fear for my safety and for my life. Everyone I tell this story to stops believing me the minute I mentioned it had one eye. But that's the part that's burnt into my memory. What a hideous creature I saw that day. I'll never forget seeing it, and I hope I never see it or anything like it again. Let me know if you have any insight on what this creature could have been. Hey Donovan, I've got a story to tell you. I'm still processing it. In all honesty, my therapist says it's better to talk about it than to keep it all bottled up inside. So I'll start off with a bit about me. My name's Sam and I'm in junior college at the University of Maine. 
I'm studying environmental science and engineering. I'm a big hiker and I love to get outdoors in any capacity. Running, skiing, tubing, fishing, whatever it is. They're all just peaceful activities. And my therapist says it's good for me because it gives me some time away from my anxiety in peace and quiet. I even got into bird watching. I'm not too skilled at bird watching, but I've gotten better this last semester because I took a class on ornithology. There are a few main points to birding that I learned. You always need a good pair of binoculars, and a field guide can be your best friend. But your ears can be your most useful tool. Birds make all kinds of different calls depending on what they're trying to communicate. They might call for a mate, or that they spotted food, or as a warning, or to communicate directions or to signal danger. Some birds have lots of different calls and sounds and songs, and they usually have a variety of different pitches and vocalizations along with them. I've memorized most of the common sounds here in the Northeast, and you can do a pretty good job matching them up with the correct bird. I've also been out hiking enough to recognize the look of most, depending on if they're a male or female, or a fledging, or an adult, or a senior. That's a lot to learn, and I've been determined to learn it all. I've been going out almost every morning on the weekends to see what I can find. Early morning is usually the best time for birding, because it's not too hot for them, and some of their predators aren't up yet, or have just gone to bed. You know what they say, the early bird gets the worm. I had been hiking for about a mile at Moose Point State Park, and I had seen a lot of different birds. I started to hike up a hill to get a better viewpoint, and maybe catch some overstory birds flying by. I found a path that winded up the mountain and took me to this perfect aerial viewing in a clearing. I sat down and took a breather. It wasn't long before I felt a shadow fly over me. I looked up as quickly as I could, but I didn't see anything in the sky. Then I heard some rustling in the trees. I pulled out my binoculars and tried to get a better look. All I could see is this black wing popping in and out of a massive pine tree. The entire trunk was swaying back and forth as needles and branches flew out in all directions. All of a sudden, this creature popped out of the tree line. I thought it could have been a vulture or a raptor or an eagle, but the wings were far too large, and its face wasn't like a bird at all. In fact, the most shocking thing was it didn't really have a face at all. Only these bright red eyes that were tracking something down below. It had the body of a person almost but it was covered in this thin layer of black fuzz. Its wings were huge and spread out almost two yards wide. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It started to dart down below the trees and I stood up with my binoculars to follow it. For a while, the whole forest was silent and then I heard this deer crying in pain. The leaves on another tree shook and then out of the clearing below, this creature came flying by with a doe stuck between its talons. It was a bit off kilter from carrying its weight, but it flapped its huge wings smoothly nonetheless. I followed the beast with my binoculars for as long as I could, but eventually it was out of my sight for good. I sat there in shock for a while, and then made my way down the hill to get out of that forest. As I approached the area where the deer got scooped up from, I saw a mess of fallen trees, broken branches, and leaves strewn all about. Certainly a struggle had taken place. I got out of there as quickly as I could and spent the rest of the day googling what I had seen. Although it seems unlikely to have been this far north, I do believe I saw what you call a mothman. 
It certainly was not a normal bird or a bat. If this thing was able to pick up an adult deer, would it be able to pick up me too? 